Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trauma Trial Transformation. From a beautiful, sunny spring day, almost May, in Los Angeles, California. I am so thrilled today about my guest for so many reasons. Oh my gosh. My guest today grew up in the housing projects in southeastern Washington, D.C. And he was there during the crack epidemic with guns, drugs, and the threat of incarceration, as that was kind of just like the accepted part of his daily life and pretty much everybody he knew. His life was nearly upended when he was arrested on drug charges in 2002. The jail sentence sharpened his resolve to get out of the hustling life. What an amazing story my guest has today. He is featured in the documentary, The Falconer, which is a story of second chances. From an abandoned plot of land for teenagers who've dropped out of high school and for injured birds of prey. Beautiful combination. In his book, Bird Brother and the Healing Power of Wildlife, he details his transformation from drug dealer to one of the only black master falconers in North America and the healing connection that he has with his animals he cares for now. His organization, Rodney's Raptors, is an interactive and educational program allowing adults and children of all ages to experience excitement and healing that comes with holding live birds of prey. I want to welcome Master Falconer Rodney Stotts. Rodney, I am so grateful and so thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've been following you for quite some time, actually. I'm sure you don't even know the people that probably do follow you. But can we start off a little bit with your, you know, what kind of took you down the path for someone who's listening to try and change your life? What what took you down the path of drug dealing and like how old were you? What really took me down the path of drug dealing was wanting to eat, wanting to have certain clothes, wanting to be able to go and not have to worry about the next day of what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Am I going to have clothes tomorrow? You know, people think that a lot of people get into drug dealing because they want a fancy car or they want this big house or something. No, the majority of them just want to eat the next day, want to make sure they had a full meal. Not to say that, you know, we didn't have what we had at home, but it never was to be enough, basically. So, you know, you had to do what you had to do here and there to survive. And drug dealing was the easiest thing that would be the quickest to make money. So, and and how long were you living that life? (laughs) All of my life, basically. I mean, you, the, I started basically selling drugs when I was maybe 16, 17. We were selling what was considered to be Love Boat, which was marijuana with a bombing fluid, PCP juice on it. And, you know, started selling that and Mm. went to Poland. It graduated to cocaine and everything else from there. Anything that you can get your hands on to sell is what you ended up doing. Yeah. Now, I I heard in one of your interviews, I've, I've listened to a lot of your interviews and read a lot of your articles and read your book, obviously, but 
I heard one of your interviews, you went to 33 funerals in one year. I mean, how did that, what, what age were you and how did that change you? I was 22, I believe, 21, 22. Uh, at least 20 of those people didn't reach 21 years old, 18, 21 years old. It was a few family members involved, a couple older family members, and it totaled out to be 33 funerals in that one year. And the wow. people that was from the streets that I knew, it was at least 26, 27 of those. And like I said, at least 20 of them didn't reach 18, 21 years old. Did you ever think that going to jail would change you? Did you just didn't even think about jail? Or what What was your thought at that time? You weren't afraid to go to jail or just needed to survive? I mean, everything you do, you think about jail. But it, if you are scared to go to jail, you're not going to do it. So then you're not going to eat. You're not going to have. You're not going to. And you're, you're trying to see does the risk outweigh the means. You know, so if you feel like, mm -hmm. hey, whatever it is that I'm doing, if, if I end up getting caught, I got to do what I got to do. I got to take the time. I got to eat. Then you're going to do what you have to do. And like I say, a lot of times it's oh. not about wow. getting money for flashy things. It's about surviving. And then once you are able to survive and you're telling me now to stop and go backwards, I'm going to look at you like you're crazy. And so now those other things come along. But the start is not, oh, I want a, a Mercedes Benz. I need to make $150,000 so I'm going to start selling drugs. No, that's usually not the case. No. And I think that's that's a misperception with a lot of people that don't realize that it is a survival at some level, right? So, you know, I... I read a quote in your book, and I just love this. I, it's uh, if you don't mind me quoting your book, it just um, this is something that you that you wrote. It says, "I just saw this huge hawk fly across, and everyone was saying, "Come on, come on, you know, put your money up.'" I'm like, "Hold on, man, I'm watching this bird," and then people were looking at me like I was crazy because you know you're standing there, you have a gun, they have guns, money, and drugs, and you're standing there saying, "Wait a minute, like I want to look at this bird, like." Tell me how was that messenger right there pulling you out of that moment? Or tell me about that moment. I just that was such a pinnacle moment for me of everything I've read about you. I love animals. I'm really not a people person. And when you're doing drug deals, I don't have to like you. You have a product that I want, or I have a product that you want. So that was just it. So now what are you going to do? And at that time, the, the lifestyle that we were leading, like I said, there was guns everywhere. So no one's really worried about someone doing something else because no one's going to make it out of there. And I love animals. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't care what it is, what I'm doing. The moment that bird flew across, that was more important than the drug deal at that moment. Now, did I know that that was a mm -hmm. red tail hawk at that time? No. I just knew that there was this big bird that was a hawk, that everything was an eagle back then. You know, so you assume every bird that was huge was an eagle because you didn't know differences of mm -hmm. red tails, red shoulders, or anything like that. So I just mm -hmm. was so fascinated and captivated by that bird of the, the animals, period. It just, the drug deal at the moment didn't make any sense. Wow. What a, what a powerful, you know, I, I studied a lot of Native American beliefs and ceremony and things like that. And, you know, the, the hawks and the raptors being messengers and what a message, you know, um, that I'll tell you my story in just a little few minutes, but, but was it true that, you know, you've been pulled over like just by the police probably, you know, for 
just your color of your skin, which I hate to say, but that, that is a D-W-B. perception in today's society. Is that driving while black? Yes, is ma'am. That, that is. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm. I, I. My heart hurts for you to say that, and um, I'm sorry for that. But is it really true that like they would pull you out, put you on the ground, put a gun on you, and then they'd say, "Oh, they found this piece of paper," and you have the Department of Wildlife, and they back off? I mean, it was like, is that true? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. There was numerous oh, my occasions. My son and I. He was a falconer at the time. We were setting on what's called Owens Road out in Maryland, behind the school. They pulled in behind us, surrounded the car. The first officer came up. I told him who I am, what I do. He walked back to the other officers. We're sitting in the car. The other officers walked up. He said, listen, man, my partner said y'all are all right. Well, you do what? And I told him I'm a falconer. I trap wild birds. I teach inner city youth. He said, you're black. I said, okay. <laughs> so he was like, wait a minute, you do what? And, you, and they couldn't believe it. We were sitting beside a bank. The police, I mean, swat everybody. Guns drawn, get out of the car, get on the ground. We're laughing. My son and I open the door. We're laughing, laying on the ground because we know what's going on. And all I say is, can you just look in that book bag in the back seat? There's a paper on the, in the book bag that'll explain everything. They'll pull out United States Fish and Wildlife, wrapper, uh, permit, everything. And now I'm explaining what I actually do. And they're all sitting there like, kids at a candy store eating it out. I'm, I'm like five seconds ago, you guys were ready to blow my brains out. But now you want to know what I, you know, it, it, they see me though. After that, you'll see the police cut the lights on. We'll go to pull over and they'll just ride past and get on the mic. Bird man. Hey, bird man. And keep on going down the street. Oh. So they got to know who I was being out there that yeah. when they would get a call, there's a guy standing on the side of the road. They were just right. Bird, that's bird, man. It's, it's no sense of even going through that again. So it got to the point that they knew who I was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's but, you know, it's what a, an amazing story of just, you know, obviously your resilience and patience to to continue to let that happen yet build a relationship of trust. And, you know, with with even the officers and stuff. But, you know, how do, how do you see talking a second about getting started with the Raptors, but how do you see working with raptors before they get hurt similar to kids or as you call it becoming the product of the system like how are those parallel to you that's the reason i became a falconer i didn't become a falconer because i wanted to hunt birds or anything i was working with a program and we had only injured raptors and we were only working with adjudicated youth so my question was Mm. why do we only get birds after they're hurt and young people after they're in the system? Why can't we get the birds before they get hurt and help them make it through so that they never have to come through our program in an injured way? They said, you have to become a falconer in order to have flighted birds that way. I said, okay, well, I'll become a falconer. And everybody started laughing. and And I had no idea that black falconer 14 years ago was some sort of oxymoron or something. It just wasn't something right. that was said. And so How weird. within four or five months later, I was a licensed falconer. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's such a parallel, you know I mean? Like one of the reasons that I'm trying to shine light on this podcast is, you know, why aren't we helping witnesses, people who have been through trauma, through the legal system prior to having to go through it, right? So that's why I was also so excited to hear you say that because I'm like, wow, I, I feel like that's the same with witnesses. We just 
wait till they go through all this and then we get them on the stand and then we say, okay, see you later. Thank you. Here's your ham sandwich for lunch. And they just move on. You know, it's like, but people are traumatized by a lot of things or they have to relive trauma. So how do you, how do you look at that in ways of like, especially kids, like by trying to head it off? What's your, what's your thought on being ahead of that process? Well, the thing is, most of them don't have anyone that's consistent in their life, any type of positivity that's mm-hmm. going to be consistent. So if you have someone that's there that you can pick up the phone and call and be that one that show up with the bird that makes you smile or whatever, that I have horses and you know we'll pull up with the horses and put you on the horse back and walk around it. Just those things that let people know that someone cares about them. The majority of young people feel like no one cares, period. Not their parents. If you're 14 and your mom's 27, 28, your grandmother's 41, 42. So you're in that system of a kid who raised a kid who raised a kid, which Mm -hmm. all three generations are uneducated, no matter what color of skin or what. You have three generations of uneducated now. And so you have that poverty. You have that. And no one wants to believe. No one thinks that I can do. So I want you to know that you can do. And as long as someone's in your corner, just that fact of knowing that someone's there for you. I think that to me is the whole thing of you're never alone because I know what it is to feel like you are. I've lost my mom, my brother. My son was murdered. One of my sons was murdered July 5th of last year. I've lost numerous people just this year alone. We've been through six deaths this year alone. So I know Mm -hmm. what that feeling is to feel like you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. Once I pick up one of these animals, I know that that my dog is named after my mom. One is named after my grandmother. One of the birds is named after my brother. So those family Mm -hmm. members are always with me. And I want the young Mm. people to understand or anyone to understand that that trauma that we go through is just that we can go through it. We can get through it and we can heal each other and let the animals help us. Oh, just that's so beautiful. Rodney. I'm just I just I I can't. Oh, I just got goosebumps on that because I'm a big believer that animals talk to us, that that nature talks to us. I mean, I um, I've had quickly throw my story in where I was sitting in my office one day and a peregrine falcon came to my window in downtown Los Angeles, came right up to my window with a mouse in its talons. And I was like, okay, something's up, you know, and I've done enough studies around it. And the next day I was sitting on my computer and the, uh, I had a brother that was shot in hunting accident when I was a kid and, and this guy's name came up on my screen. And I was like, that falcon, that falcon, that peregrine falcon was giving me this gift of like, you can heal from this. Like, you know, I knew it. And it was just, talking to me and you find that the birds talk to you in this, this way that we just have cut a little bit of a different gift on, whoa, this is, you just have to be awake. Right. I mean, how, how do you explain that? It's been hard for me to explain to people, but as soon as I read your book, I was like, I need to meet Rodney so bad. Well, what I tell people is get out of our own way. We have been programmed to believe the animal can't talk, that this can't do this, but you can't hear that. Well, who said you can't? Everything that's been possible, someone said we couldn't do at one point in time or another. Look at your phone, a computer. You had this big, huge, now you got a computer in your hand. And they said that that couldn't happen. So how are you going to tell me that I can't hear this animal talk to me, but I can hear this person 
talk down to me, berate me, do all these things. But I can hear this animal telling me that it loves me, that it's thanking me for feeding it and being there for it and protecting it. But you're going to tell me I can't hear that, but I can hear all the negativity that you spew. So it's what we believe. I believe that if my bird, if I ask my bird, do you want to go out today? If my bird tells me no, I'm going to leave them in. My right. my dogs, my I white mice, 50 white mice behind me. If I say, do you guys want to work today? <laughs> we got to trap a bird today. Whichever one does not crawl in my hand will not go outside. It's that. Right. It's us just listening. I tell people, do you believe David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear? Do you believe he walked through the Great Wall of China? No. A magician makes you believe something. So if you use your eyes and your ears to listen and to see, you're blind and you're deaf. Close your eyes, close mm. your ears, listen to your heart. You'll hear every animal mm. that talks to you that tells you what you're supposed to do. Beautiful. Wow, 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 wow. I, I knew I couldn't wait to talk to you <laughs> because I, I couldn't agree with you more. You just said it so beautifully that I, you know, words I could never put into it. Because I mean, I, I mean, I, I see it all the time. I mean, I was just out in Ohio. I was just out in Ohio with uh, with my family, and the deer is my spirit animal. And this deer came around the corner, and I was just like, hi, you know, and just we're having this conversation. I'm patting my foot. It's, you know, hitting its hoof, and we're kind of just communicating. And my mother's like, what is going on? And I said, you know, this, there is this way of having communication outside of it, but you put it so beautifully on the positivity, messaging, and the light. So in your your transformation journey, you know, what gave you the will to want to heal your wounds? Like where, where when you see those friends of yours that have passed, what gave you the will to want to get out of that and change it? The promises that we made. One of the first people, Monique Johnson, who was murdered back when we very first started the program down in Texas. And the promises that we had all made to each other about honoring each other's legacy. And that as long as the next person still lived, that they would honor those people. Well, Mm -hmm. all my life I heard people say, men don't do this and men don't do that. Men do this and men do that. And I've seen them do the opposite of whatever it was that they told me. So I decided that if I was going to be the man that my mom raised me to be, that Allah blessed me to be, then if I gave them my word of honoring them as long as I live, then I will always honor them. So Monique Johnson, Gerald Hewlett, Benny Jones, and James Metley, four of the original nine who started the program with me. If you look at documentaries, my book, everything has their name because we made right. I made a promise to them. Those were people who I considered my family. Blood doesn't make you family. Blood makes you related. Family is who you choose. I cannot know mm. you. You're related to me by six generations. That doesn't make us family, but you're the person that When I lost my mom and I was losing my mind, you were the one that was there sitting with me. You're my family. My animals were sitting there with me. When no two-legged human would come sit with me, my animals sat with me. So that's why I love my animals. On my front door, it says animal house. That means (laughs) when you walk through the door, you can put your hands on any person in here on two legs, I won't say a word to you. You hurt my goldfish. You will not walk out my house. There you go. I love it. You know, that's, that's the, uh, that's the beauty of, 
I'm having that's okay. I, I I actually am loving that he's talking to us too. Is he or she? Is it what's the name of your dog? That's which dog? I have one name Yendor, which is Rodney spelled backwards. I have one name okay. Uma. I have one name Munna. I have one name Dippy, named after my mother. One name K Pasa, and one name Puzzles because of the pieces <laughs> on his back looks like puzzles put together. <laughs> So it's six. Well, I, I love that they're part of this conversation yes. today. I never, I never like doing that. I, I, my dogs, you know, tell me things every day. I, I'm not even aware of at times. And you just have to, like you said, listen and talk. And they've, they've been huge messengers. But, you know, it sounded like, like even back in the '80s, like you would go to the zoo, the Metro Smithsonian National Zoo, and, you know, so you've really been into nature since you were a kid, right? Yes, ma'am. I used to hook school and go to Woodley Park Zoo set up there all day, go to the raptors, to the snakes, to the gorillas. I love mm. animals, period. I would go to the creeks, catch crayfish. I've had almost every type of animal. My mom, the only thing she didn't like was snakes. So if I had a snake, I couldn't bring that in the house. And tree frogs and turtles and snapping turtles and white mice and crayfish and, and salad, you name it, I had it. And so with my kids, they're by me not being afraid of snakes, Every single animal that they've ever wanted, basically, that was legal for them to have, they've had. I wanted them to understand that every single creature serves a purpose, has a meaning, from a mosquito to the dragonfly to whatever. Everything serves a purpose. So if you take that time and respect it, love it, I've had people that I've shown the utmost love and respect for and they've stabbed me in the back. I've had animals that I've shown the utmost love and respect for, and they've never bit me, never stabbed me in the back, never pretended to love me, never waited till I left mm-hmm. the room and talked trash behind my back. None of that. Just people. Right. So right. that's why I love my animals. Yeah, well, because they're usually right there for you, right? Yes, ma'am. You know, it's also, um, you worked on what the, uh, is it the Anacosta River Flow? Is that how yes, you ma'am. really also got... Deeply involved in that. Talk to me about that project. Well, during the, we worked on the Anacostia River itself. We brought back the bald eagle to the nation's capital, which had nested in D.C. in over 45, 50 years. It had left because of the DDTs and poisons in the river. So we started doing a lot of cleanup along the Anacostia River, reintroduced the bald eagles, brought back the osprey underneath the South Capitol Street Bridge. We started doing a lot of shoreline cleanups, uh, restoration cleanups, uh, restoration planning, uh, different types of uh, ferns and things that absorb the chemicals from the ground, stuff like that. We did a lot of Mm. things to try to clean up the river to get it back to at least where bald eagles could sustain life again. So in the Mm. mid-90s, close to 2000s, you started having nesting pair of bald eagles back in D.C., and they started breeding. And so now every year you'll hear on the news about the eagles in D.C. that they have the cameras mm-hmm. on and let's name them. And when you ask them, how did those eagles get back? They can't tell you that it was nine young black people that brought those eagles back. No one can tell you the story of how they got back. They can just tell you that there are eagles there in D.C. as if they just magically well, appeared back. We're going to tell that story right here because I love that story. And I think it's, you know, so beautiful, incredible, and just to your work. And, you know, I, I spent a day down, I don't know if have you heard of Sky Falconry down here in San Diego. There's a, a young couple that works with uh, with Hawks, the Harris Hawks. Harris Hawks, um, yes, ma'am. 
Yeah, the Harris Hawks. And I mean, I went down there with my sister and I was mesmerized. You know, we worked with them for the day. And how, how has working with Hawks helped you in your life? Like what, what has the Hawk brought to you? The Hawks with me, I have five Harris Hawks actually. So I know that Okay. They're the only bird that hunts in a social group. So you can take a whole group right. out and throw those birds up. They'll follow you around. One of the things with me, with the hawks, especially because of the way that you fly them, hawks to me, mm-hmm. take your message up to God for you. Because nothing gets closer to God than his birds. Not, so mm. if you send a prayer up on those wings and you're walking, that bird's named after your mom. My, you're missing your mom or your brother or whoever that person. Because when someone dies, the first thing we say is they're up there looking down on us. Well, where's the bird? Right. Up there doing what? Looking down on us. So if that bird is named right. after your brother, your mother, whoever, and you're out flying that bird and you're walking, and you're talking just as if that person was sitting right there. Man, I did this last night. Woo, woo, woo. And then you just blow a whistle and put your hand up. And all of a sudden, this bird comes out of the tree, soaring down, lands on you. What's up, brother? You throw them back up. You keep on the sense that of peace, the tranquility, the yeah. I don't care what's going on around. You don't see any. It can yeah. be literally a tornado. Her, everything just flying off. You won't see any of it. You you got tunnel vision, right. and it just takes you somewhere where it's basically nothing can harm you. You feel nothing except peace. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me that day. I've never felt so focused, like you said. But, you know, interesting enough, it just kind of it's kind of got a hit on. I wonder if that's why the Holy Spirit usually shows up in a, in a bird and art and, uh, you know, the, the spirit that, that comes back, especially through the Christian world or, you know, that's this the Holy Spirit is always uh, illustrated as a bird. And I never really thought about that till right now, that that's uh, beautifully put. But I, I saw a review of your book, too. Was it it, uh, somebody that wrote that, it, you know, it's a testament to the healing power of nature uh, and the reminder that no matter how much heartbreak we've endured, we still have the capacity to give back to our communities and follow our wildest dreams. And nature is really what drives us to do that. So it's, it's the lowest as you, low that you've been in. You know, that. how do you explain how nature, for someone listening, can really heal? Two words, allow it. It's just that mm. simple. Mm. We get in our own way so much. Believe me, I was one of the most stubborn, pig-headed, you name it, I was him. <laughs> Believe me, that animal broke me, made me change everything. Get a bird. I'm hollering at the bird. Why you ain't flock? The bird is looking at you. <laughs> You, I don't care who you think you are. It's going to break you. It's going to make you rebuild you to be a part of its life. And that's what I needed. I needed something to break, allow myself to be broken because I was already broken and I didn't want to see it. I thought I saw Mm -hmm. the 10 pieces, but there were a hundred pieces. There was 10 times Mm -hmm. as many pieces laying there and I didn't want to see those pieces. And when I allowed myself through that animal, through walking through the woods, setting out at the creeks, listening to the water, just allowing myself to be vulnerable. I tell people mm. the whiz. Watch the whiz yeah. where the yeah. tin man sells you how it would feel just to feel vulnerable again. Yes. Just to yes. feel that again. That's what will do it. And you allow yeah. it to now bring you back. And when it bring you back, 
it usually will bring you back better than it took you. Wow. Wow. Just, man, wow, you're just such a gift, I'm telling you. So, you know, I like to ask all my, my guests, do you, do you think healing is a choice? Yes. We choose to stay unhappy. We choose, self-pity mm-hmm. is the worst thing you can have. 300 seconds, five minutes. That's all you get to feel sorry for yourself. After that, let's go. That's it. Mm-hmm. Self-pity is the worst. I can sit here and tell you, I lost someone close to me just yesterday. Okay, well, someone this morning got up, they lost their mother, their father, their brother, their, they lost their whole family. So you're going to tell me that there's a comparison? No, there isn't. So if you don't like, you're either going to implode or explode. You're going to blow up on yourself or you're going to blow up on somebody else. Or you can do something and take that and honor those people. To me, everybody that I've met in my life is a gift. So Allah forbid something happened to you, I have to honor you. Plant a tree. Do something that honors that person. Mm-hmm. Allow you. Yeah, you have to allow yourself to heal. Don't stay in that spot. Yeah. Staying in that spot, misery loves company. Don't be its company. You don't have to be. Right. Because then you start attracting other people that are in that misery, and then it just starts growing. And the next thing you know, the law of attraction, it goes the negative way versus it's the positive way. Infestation and of misery. Rather sit there and let the hurt and heal as I'm hurt. It's not overnight. That's what people really need. You're not running a quick little race. It's a marathon. Let that time let go. Let it go through all of the stages. One minute you up, next minute you down. It's okay though. Just know it's okay not to feel okay. Right. You know, there's no to me. There's no such thing as normal. There is none because what's normal for me right. may not be for you. So right. a lot, right. it's okay not to feel okay. Just do something to make yourself feel okay. Right. And nature is always there for us to do that. That's the other thing I've always found so interesting is that, you know, just biggest classroom period. Right. Mine's a beach. I, you know, I try to I live in California. I came from Ohio. I've always wanted to be by the water and it's just a safe haven for me. And then it's, you know, it's, it's so if you could give someone, so let's say someone, you know, has had to go through the trial system, the court system, and they really had to not only just go through trauma, but relive trauma. So now it comes back to them. What kind of advice would you give them to kind of start working through the healing process? Find what make you happy. Find what works for you. I can never tell you, if you do this, this is going to make you feel better. No, it's not. Right. You have to find what make you feel better. And once you find what made you feel better, don't allow anybody to steal that joy away from you. Let that be yours. That's no matter what. Anything that goes on in my life, I can get a phone call right now and get the worst news ever. And I have my animals here. One of these animals is going to tell me everything is going to be all right. And I'm going to sit there the same way we're conversing. Me and my animals do the same thing. And others that know me, that knows me, will tell you I talk to my animals the same way I talk to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Y'all want to go? You don't want to go? Okay. Same thing. So that would be once you find it, hold on to it and just let that begin your healing. Make that every day. Do it. Would you suggest 
getting out in nature to, as a oh. first start, just even if you could get out of your house, just step out into nature and start to just, like you said, listen? Is that kind of like the first step of that kind of process? Go sit by the water. Water has a tremendous healing property quality. Just sitting there and don't listen to anything around. Turn off the radios, cut your phones off, put that technology down for a minute and just mm-hmm. listen. Allow your mind. You will start to see movies playing in your head, things that you never thought who you can be, what you can do, how you can. That's how you get that clutter out. Get to a place mm-hmm. that's not, we, we all we come from the earth. Right. OK, well, right. we come from the earth. Where is going to ground us and heal us back to? Go sit down on the gra- in the grass. Let nature, let, let Mother Earth, let her wrap her arms around you. Because mm-hmm. Father Time yeah. is sure waiting on us. So as long right. as we got time here with Mother Earth, stay with her. Let her do what she yeah. do. That's such good. That's perfect, perfect, perfect advice. You know, um, one of your sayings, and this is something I almost get myself a little bit in trouble, is you always say, just look up. You know, I, I say that to people all the time. They're like, how did you see that? And I said, I just looked up. And when I saw that quote from you, I was like, okay, he and I, maybe we're bird sister and brother from another mother or another bird. But I just kind of, I had to laugh because I was like, I, I say that all the time. And, and, and explain to people what you mean by that. Well, you're always looking down. I mean, when people, are, when I come up and I'll say about the hawks and, and people will say, well, I didn't know we had them here. And I say, because y'all looking for them to be walking. Look up. I say, if you see a bird on the ground, it's only for two reasons. Either he's eating or he's sick. Because a hawk is not going to walk around on the ground. So look up. I say, now, don't get me wrong. With your head up, looking up always, you don't know always what you're stepping in. But sometimes it doesn't matter because what you step over, you needed to step over. So look up. And, and that's what I, my son, there's a documentary on HBO, I mean, on uh, YouTube uh, with my son and it's basically called look up it's about just looking yeah. up and it's not just like he said look up for the look up for your aspirate look up to yourself you should be your greatest hero you should mm-hmm. be who you're inspiring to measure up to because no one else you should hold above you so look up look up to you don't look up to me look up to you look up to how high you can go look up to what you can do and do it because if you can see it, if you look all the way up there and you see yourself up there, you can get up there. And if your head is always down, where are you going? Yeah, right, right. I mean, that's just the whole, you know, Rodney, you are a beam of light that I just wish we could, uh, I could send you right out here and we could spend hours together because I could talk to you all day long. So I, I really, um, we're kind of out of time, but I, I really am so grateful. Like I said to you earlier, I'm a little starstruck talking to you and I live in the middle of Hollywood. I, I, I just absolutely am so mesmerized by your story and your healing process, your strength, your intuitiveness, your insightfulness. And um, I know the world's a better place with you in it. So uh, where can people find you and your information? Um, they can go on Rodney's Raptors right now. I'm running a program down here at my house. I started a human sanctuary called Dippy's Dream. And it's named after my mom. And it's a place where you can come and camp out, pitch a tent, get up in the morning, ride horses, feed the birds, got rabbits and chickens and everything. And it's a human sanctuary with animals. So it's a place where Mm. if you wanted to learn to ride a horse and to learn to ride a horse may cost you $1,500, $2,000. Well, 
Well, you didn't have that. But you had $40 and you came down here. Guess what? You learned how to ride a horse. Because you couldn't afford something mm-hmm. didn't mean you didn't deserve it. You can get up every morning, feed the homeless, read to the kids, walk them to make sure kids get home from school, but you can't afford $2,000. So did that mean you didn't deserve it? No, it just means you couldn't afford it. Well, guess what? If you came wow. here, the same campgrounds is three or $400 a night. No, if you had 26 cents in your pocket and you got here, donate 26 cents. It's all donation-based. Right. Because for those who can't afford to do more, do more for those who can't. That's what it's all about right. with me. It's not about, oh, I'm charging this and this. No, because that means you're alienating the people who could not afford it, who just like you. Because if I had to pay three, $400 a night, I can't afford it. So right. why would you do that? So Rodney's Rappers, right. the website you can go on. Book a date, come on down, come help clear some land, come ride a horse, come plant a garden, come have some fun. I have a natural spring at the bottom. Come soak your feet in the water. I mean, just it's all about healing. That's what it's all about with me. Yes, ma'am. I'm coming. Yes, I, I'm coming. Next time I'm out on the East Coast, I'm, I'm coming yes, to see ma'am. you. I, I can't wait to meet you in person. I just really so. You have an open invitation. Well, thank you, my friend. I uh, Again, I thank you so much for all your amazing work and for coming on and talking with me today. So um, thank you, Rodney. Oh, thank you. Who you want to say bye? I want to thank all your babies. Oh, look at that. Say bye. Oh, hi. <laughs> bye, honey. Well, thank you. And thank you, your animals, for being part of my uh, my show today. And again, I thank you very much. So everybody, thanks for listening today. Wow, what a... I just, I'm sitting here just in awe and trying to get my words out of my mouth because I'm just, I love this story so much. But uh, just do me a favor, everyone. Go out, look up, and spread some love. And thanks today for listening. Yes, indeed. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts.